0: So this morning, um, we're going to be uh, looking at Matthew chapter nineteen, verses sixteen through thirty, and we're going to be looking at the uh, what's called the account of the rich young ruler, and um, it, we're working our way through the New Testament. Obviously, we didn't start that long ago—only you know a year—and we're in Matthew nineteen, so this this may take <laughs> this may take a couple of weeks to make this happen. But it's been a lot. It's been a lot of fun. Um, we're going to be dealing with primarily the question. What does it mean to be good enough for heaven today? What is good? What do we need to do? Now, this account that we see in Matthew 19 is also found in Mark 10 and Luke 18. They're almost identical. All three accounts are almost identical. And in all three versions, the fundamental points are the same, and it even tracks almost, identical, almost exactly the same. So what I want to do this morning is I'm just going to work my way through the passage and just make some observations and make some observations and talk about some things that I was thinking about throughout the week as I was putting my notes down. Um, and the first thing we're going to look at is uh, verse 16. "Behold, a man came up to him saying, "Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life?" Great question. We learn from the other gospel accounts, if you read the other three gospel accounts, uh, this one says uh, a, a man came up to him. Now, we know from the other gospel accounts that this was not only just a man. This was a very rich man. This was a very young man. But that's really all we know about him. Most, most Bibles refer to this as the parable of the rich young ruler. Uh, but it's actually not a parable, which is kind of funny at the same time. It's an honest question. This guy was probably a businessman, or he may have also been a religious leader, In the area, because religious leaders tended to be very wealthy. They were usually pretty rich. Now, most commentators agree, I've heard, you may have heard this a lot, most commentators agree that this was not someone who just wanted to make himself look good in front of a crowd. The rich guy wasn't just going to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, what do this guy right here got to do to get to heaven? I mean, compared to everybody else. That's not what he was doing. Most commentators agree he was actually asking an honest question. He probably saw Jesus as a, as a prophet. He recognized who he was. This guy's got authority in God. Look at the things that he does. And he probably had an honest question because he knew he followed the law, but his question was, was just just honest. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? He wanted to know if the trajectory of his life was going to end up in heaven. That's an honest question, isn't it? Wouldn't you like that assurance? Jesus is standing in front of you. Is there anything else I got to do to like seal this thing up so that I can maybe relax a little bit, especially when I'm driving in the snow? A couple things we want to remember about this particular time is that this was a works-based faith. Judaism is a works-based faith. It's not about who you were. It's not about the faith that you had. It wasn't even really about faith. It was about what you did, your willingness to follow the law to the letter. Every little tiny thing you would do If you were really serious about living this faith out. So it wasn't about who you were. I think it's so different when you realize the clarity that Jesus brought to the situations. Because for centuries, the Jews missed this. Even the process of the sacrificial system that they used was supposed to be a personal thing. But it just became a series of tasks to check off a list I did this, I did this. I gave these offerings at the right time. I did, I, I, am I, you know, I, I don't go anywhere during the Sabbath. My wife wants me to do housework during the Sabbath. Forget it. God said I don't have to. So he's just, just just going down the list. I got all I I I've done everything. The other thing to remember about this particular point in time is that it was believed because whenever you're in a works-based system. Material blessing is always viewed as a sign of righteousness. If we're supposed to do things to get God's approval, God's approval is obviously that I've got a good life. I've got money. I've got success. My, my kids are healthy. Everything is good. Look, at the good. look at my house. Look at my car. I've got a hunting camp, four trucks, nine, nine four-wheelers and a boat. Don't use any of them, but I got them. It's believed that that was a sign of God's blessing on your life. Got stuff? Obviously, you're a righteous man. I mean, look at him. Aren't we glad we don't do that today? Huh. All right, moving right along. Picking up in verse 17, it continues this way. And he said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Keep the commandments, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, check. You shall not commit adultery, check. You shall not steal, check. You shall shall not bear false witness, check. This is awesome. Honor your father and mother, little check. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself, sort of a check. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What still? What do I still lack? <clears throat> All these I have kept. What do I lack? Now you can look at that as arrogance. All these I have kept. <laughs> now what do I still lack? I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's honestly looking at it, saying, "I've okay. So far, I'm done. Is there anything?" that I'm still missing. So here's a question that we should consider as we're looking at this. What do we mean when we say something is good? Because his question was, what good deed, what good thing will take me over the top so that I've got this heaven thing locked in? What is good and how do we define it? The ability to define good and evil has been a dividing point in peop- with people for all recorded history. Even within the same churches, what is called good by some is not called good by the other. Some people will call something good, other people call it acceptable. You yeah, remember this, this little expression, good enough for government work? Okay, so now it really calls into question, what does good mean? Right? Doesn't blow up on the first try? Is that Good. In a lot of situations, what you have is one side believes that they are the righteous ones because of the way they view things as good or bad. I am more righteous than you. I'm more acceptable than you. I am, I am more godly than you because of the way I view these things. And because you don't view these things exactly the way I do, I question whether or not you're even a Christian. Think of all the, all the ways that that comes true in the Christian life. Tongues. Prayer. What do you mean you just pray whatever comes to your mind? No. You pray the Lord's Prayer and the Lord's Prayer only. Even though that's not what they did in the Bible. Do you notice that in, record, in the recorded Bible, Jesus only prayed the Lord's Prayer once? <laughs> the other times he was just talking to God. Weird, right? but it's okay, I'm the unrighteous one. It's fine. See, the side that thinks that they're the righteous ones are the ones who've determined themselves and their opinions above all others. And this is what's called a worldview conflict. The way you have adjusted your worldview makes you more acceptable than anybody else. Now, we've taught on world, I've taught on, here, on worldview here a number of times, uh, and just as, a, just as a quick little go-through, when you're looking for your worldview, if you want to know how your, what your worldview is, you've got to answer these four questions, origin, purpose, morality, and destiny. The question of origin is, where did I come from? P- question of purpose, why am I here? The question of morality, how do I know the difference between right and wrong? And destiny, what happens when I die? When you answer those four questions, you know what your worldview is. And the, and the, the real question is, do they line up? Are they consistent with one another? Because the, the question number one, where do I come from? You're either a cosmic accident or the result of intentional design. Creator or an accident? If you're an accident, literally, it doesn't. the rest of the, the questions are meaningless because anything goes. But if that beginning question is, I'm the product of design. This body was made on purpose. I think there's some parts missing. But, you know, it's just fine. The way we answer these questions determines our worldview. And when you look at number three, it's right there in front of us. When we talk about what is good, how do I know the difference between right and wrong? You can add in moral and immoral. Um, For our purposes today, good and bad. How do I know the differences between these things? Let me pose this question this way. Let's say something absolutely crazy happens. Now, I would say crazy, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this would be so cool. And all of a sudden, I get sent back in time. Every sci-fi nerd right now is like, oh, I would so invest in Microsoft and Bitcoin and all that other stuff. But what if you're thrown way back in history? And I'm, 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 I'm not even sure where I am, and I'm walking along, and I bump in, and I ask some kid for directions. I ask him what his name is, and he lets me know his name is Adolf. Hitler, and I think now, now because I know who he will become, a question starts rolling around in my mind. If I decide to end that little kid right there, now some of you have had this thought in your mind with kids, just in general, but that, that's <laughs> putting it nicely. I will end this kid. If I were to take that life, am I doing something good or bad? Is that righteous or is that evil? Even knowing the outcome of that life, that's a valid question. And the only answer to it is that it's evil. Taking the life of an adolescent, Adolf Hitler, is evil. Why is it evil? That's the fundamental question. Why is this evil? And it's evil because the Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not murder. Even knowing where that kid is going, I would be breaking the commandments of God, doing what I think is a service to humanity. You see, for my standards, I've done something good. But God said, You took a life that was not yours to take. You see, so the standard of good and bad has nothing to do with how I feel about something. My personal opinions are meaningless. Now let's translate that over into general society. Your personal feelings on a subject are meaningless if they violate the standards of God. In all things, you can accept any behavior you want that does not make it righteous before God. There is only one that is good, and there is only one way that we understood or that we understand what good is. Any standard that goes against the standards of God as laid out in the Scriptures are not only of no value; they are inherently evil. Can I say that again? Any standard of God that goes against, any standard of man that goes against the standard of God, as out, laid out in Scripture, is not only wrong; it is inherently evil because it leads you farther away from God. The more you embrace little compromises, the further you will get away without even knowing it. People who are sexually immoral, people who are thieves, people who are liars, people who are raging alcoholics, never get there, never get to where they end up right off the bat. Not only am I going to start drinking today, I'm going to become a massive alcoholic today. No, you don't. You start with a drink. And that drink becomes more valuable than anything else in your life over time. One compromise after another, one compromise after another, till the compromise becomes so normal that people who don't agree with your compromise are the bad ones. We see this play out in society all the time. 1950s. I'm going to tread carefully, and by that I mean I'm going to step on everybody's toes. In the 19, and just, just, I'm, we're talking about 70 years ago just in the 1950s, probably through the the 70s, a young couple living with each other to make sure that they want to be married? You would never have announced that to the world. It was so radically outside the realm of okay societally that no one would talk. It happened, but no one wanted to talk about it because it was never acceptable. What has happened over the last 50, 70 years? Keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening, and no one says anything because they don't want to be that person. (laughs) Have you ever read the Gospels? You could easily describe Jesus as that guy who is going to point it out. He's going to love you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to have dinner with you, and he's going to say, by the way, you probably shouldn't sin anymore because this is bad. "But, But my parents are okay with it. Good for you. Your he- your parents going to hand you the key to eternity? Are your parents the ones who are going to bring you salvation? Did they die for your sins? No. Uh, I don't know if I want to marry him. <laughs> okay, stop just for a second. I don't know if I want to marry that person. You're okay sleeping with him? Really? We have four kids, but I don't know if we're ready for marriage. I'm sorry, Do er- you see how far we travel? With our ethical standards because of continuous, tiny compromises. We ask our question what is good? Here's what's good. You wanna spend your life with someone? Get married. We can't afford a wedding. You know what? Here's, this is cool. All I need from you is two witnesses and a marriage license. Come to the office, I'll take care of it. Boom! You know what? I'll do it for free. I'll even bring a cupcake. (laughs) I ain't buying you a wedding cake. I used to sell wedding cakes. We're not doing that. But I'll put two little Lego figures on it. We can make it happen. Anyway, moving along. We, 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 We dabble with this idea of like there's this middle ground between good and bad that's like okay. It's the well, I haven't killed anybody, part of the world. Good for you. Let me ask you something. A lot of you know this. I spend a lot. Of, I, I, I'm I'm a trained chef. I spend a lot of time serving people throughout the years. If I invite you over to my house, I prepare a meal for you. It smells amazing. Because it would. Just just gonna point that out. It would. Okay. And we get done eating, and they're like, man, you're just like, what was that? I said, well, that was, um, uh, uh, that, that was a, a, a big ribeye steak that's been in my refrigerator just a little too long. I'm sorry, what? Well, yeah, but when I looked at it, like, I believed that it was still, like, mostly okay. It was in that gray area between moldy, because I cut that part off, and, and totally fresh. Now how many of you are asking for seconds. And how many of you are running to the bathroom. No one would accept that as okay. I served you some food and it was only sort of rotten. No one would accept that as Okay. Why is it that when it comes to our ethics, to our standards, to our morals, to our work ethic, we're okay with sort of rotten? I see these videos online all the time of people that are like, act your wage. You, you see these, you get these employees, it's basically these YouTubers who are, who are teaching employees how to basically treat their bosses like crap. And they're celebrated. I'm going to get as much as I can from my boss. Okay. Guy posted a video at one point in time, and it was a guy saying, hey, I've got a certain amount of PTO coming up, and I'm just going to take it all at once over the summer. I'm just letting you know that from this date to this date, I won't be around. The guy's talking to his boss. His boss is like, um, I'm sorry, what? If you want, vac- if you want vacation, if you're going to take that much time off, you got to give me some notice. No, I don't need to give you a notice. I'm entitled to this. So I'm just taking this time off. And I commented this thank you for your notice. Take the time off. I'll have you replaced when you get back. And I forgot something important. My screen name is Pastor George Gray. That one post caused me to delete that account. Good Lord. You're the reason people die. I was like, uh, what? (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was thinking as I'm reading this nonsense. (laughs) It was scaring me too, buddy. It totally scared me too. It was unbelievable the, the amount of people that could not believe that an employer would have Standards. You know, the guy signing your check, just asking you to show up. Now, here's a good question. How many of you had an employer come to your house, knock on your door, and ask you if you would please come to work for their company? None of us. What did we do? We filled out a job application, and we went to the guy or the girl who took the risk who's financing this thing, who's the one on the hook for everything that happens if this business goes down, and we asked them if we could sell our time in a service for money. I will give you a certain amount of hours out of my life for this amount of pay. And they said, I will do this. Here are the standards of this job. And we've got a whole generation of kids that are saying, I will not live up to those standards because according to my work ethics... It's not worth it for me. Here's a good idea for you. Quit the job and let someone who's going to do the job show up. That's not that. All that is is a symptom of the rot in our society, how we do not allow anyone to bring a standard to us that is not ours alone. Relationally, professionally, emotionally, it doesn't matter. It's about me and my truth, what I want. The world is not allowed to set a standard apart from me. What good deed must I do to enter heaven? What do you mean by good? Good is simple. God's standard. That's good. What's God's standard of work? Do everything as if you're doing it for the Lord himself. But that's not what we do. Listen to how Paul describes this issue. Romans three it says, "What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we are, have all." And he's talking about himself. We have already charged that all, both Jew and Gentile, are under sin, as it is written, "No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. To, uh, together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one." Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of the asp is under their lips. The mouth is, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. All that is caused by this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. God's standards went right out the window. What God calls good, I will. What God calls evil, I will call good. I'm sure this is a prophetic piece about the end days and, the, and the, the destruction of the church and God's people. In the end, what will we do? We will call good evil and evil good. We will kick God's standards out of our lives and we will adopt the standards of man. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Today, I find far too many people in the church who are willing to work very, very hard to find ways out of things. I listen to to people preach continuously who are doing everything they can to get out of things. And they call it having a greater understanding or seeing something from a more informed position. I once believed this, but now I have been enlightened and now I, I see it as it truly is. And it's never to increase what we should be doing. It's always to release ourselves to do something. We view the standards of God like a businessman views the tax code. And we spend our time trying to find a way to give the least. How can I get away from having to give what they're asking for, what loopholes exist that I can, I can exploit for my own benefit. Think about this. I know what the Bible says about adultery, but, but what? If you knew what the Bible said about adultery, that would be enough. I know what the Bible says about paying my taxes, but, but What? But Uncle Sam doesn't spend my money right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you? I mean, how many times have we talked about this? I, I, I love this because we're, we're past this time of year. But how many of you, if I were to, to describe this out, how many, how many of you, uh, wives, try to keep your mouth closed at this particular point in time, how many of you, this would describe your life? Your husband wants to save money on meat. Yep, here we go. So they're going to buy a 700 rifle, $700 rifle. They're going to put an $800 scope on it. They're going to buy a $300 tree stand that they take out into the woods in their $15,000 four-wheeler that they drove to the woods in their 45-55 to $80,000 truck that they took from their $100,000 camp so that they could spend a $1.50 to take down a deer because they're saving money on meat. You want to talk about responsible financing? Meanwhile, your wife's driving a beater. There's no siding on your house. (laughs) Right? And your power is about to be turned off. But it's okay. I'll just park a four-wheeler inside, and the engine will warm the room. It's it's the, the reasonings we come up with are insane. How about this? I know what the Bible says about grace. I know what it says about humility. I know what it says about patience and showing kindness. I Just listened to a message a little while ago um, about something as simple as a tithe. And we work so hard. If I bend scripture a little bit here and if I leave out parts here and if I forget to ask the right questions here, I can get out of this. I can find a way. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say that that was part of the law, and I'm under grace. Good for you. I heard this statement. Well, that was written to the Jews at that time. Hallelujah! Do you know how much of this Bible was written to the Jews during that time? Praise God, all I've got to do is follow the book of Revelation. What a giant pile of nonsense. We work so hard to get out of just doing what God is asking. How many many of you have people you work with, if they would put the energy into doing their job that they put into not doing their job, they would be so amazing. They would get done faster would probably get paid more but that's not what they want to do we want to work really hard to do the least amount possible and then we feel accomplished should see all the work i got out of today good for you what good deed must i do to enter heaven i don't know how about we just define good and and go with that good is god then we say, you know what, I know maybe I'm not doing everything I should, but God knows my heart. He sure does. He sure does, and he knows there's no fear of him in it. He knows you want everything he offers, and he knows you want to give the least possible. I'm willing to come to Christ, be forgiven, be renewed, and granted access into heaven as long as I can get away with doing and saying and giving the least possible and still be okay. That cannot be our goal. It cannot be our goal. The young ruler was doing what he knew he absolutely had to do, and that's why he asked Jesus that question. What am I missing? What else do I need to do? And this is what Jesus says to him. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only, uh, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot of hope for you, isn't it? First, let, let's clear up a couple things real quick. Did Jesus say you have to sell? all that you have, and spend the rest of your life in abject poverty? No. Did Jesus even say wealth was bad? No. What does Scripture say about wealth? Is money the root of all evil? I love that stupid Facebook post. Money, if money's the root of all evil, how come they ask for it in church? I don't know. The other thing we ask is that you actually read the entire passage. The love of money, not money. Did Jesus say, sell everything you have and give all of it away to the poor until you have nothing left? No. He just said, give to the poor. I looked through all three of the, uh, of the passages for this. None of them say, give everything away. They say, give to the poor. So the difference between hoarding everything for yourself and gathering together as much as you possibly can for yourself and being generous with what you have. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house, a nice car, taking nice trips, even having money in the bank. God forbid. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your only focus, there's a problem. And remember, at this time, this this young ruler, this rich young ruler believed That the blessings in his life, the material wealth that he had, was proof of his righteousness. His whole life was dedicated to pursuing something that he believed pleased God that he's now finding out God doesn't care about. Imagine spending your life doing something that you think is bringing you closer to God and having the prophet of God in front of you, the son of God in front of you, telling you, I don't care about this. None of this matters. You want to please me? Take the blessing of your life and turn it into a life that blesses. That pleases me. Doesn't mean you can't have nice things. Just don't make your life about nice things. Do you have a life that serves your faith or a faith that serves your life? See, the rich young ruler had a faith that served his life. What he needed was a life that served his faith. He was not prepared for the, for the answer that Jesus gave him. That's why he went away sorrowful. I also want to make, make note, D- Jesus did not go around claiming that wealth was evil in any way. In this passage, he is answering a question about this man. Not all, and we so have to get this in our head, not all people with money fit this category. There are a lot of people who have resources who are incredibly generous. And if they lost everything, they wouldn't care. They would just start over. Money is a tool for them, not the goal. Can can I say that again? Money is simply a tool for them, not the goal. Here's one of the things that I've I've found with people that, that pursue money. There's always a goal they have in mind. I want X house. I want X car. I want to be able to take X vacations. I want to be able to have this much stuff. And they work and they work and they work until they get it. And what they don't realize is now they're a slave to it. There was a guy that used to live next door to me, and uh, he had this gigantic Harley Davidson. Okay, it was a normal-sized Harley Davidson, but to me, it was gigantic. <laughs> now, I, I, I had a motorcycle, and here's what I would do: I would ride the motorcycle, I would, I would come home, and I would park it. That was the extent of my maintenance routine on that bike. That was it. Uh, did it get washed every now and then? Yes, it rained periodically. <laughs> it's a tool. It's a vehicle. This guy would drive that bike, he would come home, and, the re- and for hours the rest of the day, I, I referred to it as him petting the bike, because he'd get a little towel, he'd just, you got you to gotta wipe down that exhaust, otherwise it'll discolor. Yeah, you don't want anyone to know that you rode it. God forbid, it looked like it hit the highway at some point in time. I can almost hear him going, good, Harley. Good, huh? You're such a good motorcycle. Crazy. But that guy lived for his stuff. And he never really maintained a relationship with the Lord because his stuff always got in the way. The statement when Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, a lot of people try to talk, make that look like some sort of metaphor. Like it was just, he was just, just using it as a weird example. Uh, unfortunately, here, here, here's the, the, the problem with that statement. Um, no gate by that name was ever recorded in Jerusalem during that time until after the year 1000. Mm-hmm. That's what I think when I read those commentaries. There was no gate called the eye of the needle in Jerusalem at that time. Second, the language in Greek, the word for eye of the needle, literally means a, 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 a sewing needle or a doctor's needle. Kind of hard to turn that into a gate. It literally means a needle. Jesus is literally saying it's easier to squeeze a camel through a needle and it survive than it is for someone materially minded to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a hard thing to hear. But if your goal is your stuff, you're in trouble. I had that effect on kids. It's fine. It's no no big deal. The good thing is I've worked on that over the years, and it makes it so that I never babysit anybody. (laughs) Jesus says that it is an impossibility without God. It doesn't mean that having things makes it so that you don't, you're not a, it's not that you're not a Christian if you have money. It's that it's very, if you're materially minded, the only thing that is going to save you is for God to change you. With God, all things are possible. But you have to move away from pursuing a life of comfort to pursuing a life that might bring comfort. Those are two diametrically opposed positions. God, bring me resources and I'll serve you with them. As a part part two, God, I'll serve you if you bring me resources. I remember I used to listen to Joyce Meyer a lot and I was listening to her and uh, it was an older message and it immediately turned me off to her. She said, I told God that I would, I would serve him as long as I was a kept woman. What that meant was, make me rich and comfortable and I'll continue doing this. I honestly don't know if I've listened to her since. This was a long time ago. And one of her books, The Battlefield of the Mind, uh, reading that is why I'm still a Christian because I was on my way out the door. So literally one of her works kept me in the church. But her confession of her material addiction basically shut me off to her almost completely. I, I can't connect myself to a materially minded person. And it, I think the trouble in her life is a, is, an, is a result of that. And she's had a lot of trouble. Jesus is not saying that the person with riches cannot be saved. He's saying it's the person who won't let him go, that values their riches more than their Lord, that is gonna seriously struggle in their relationship with God. Over the past 14 years here, I can go back and mark several times, several times, when the church was ready to make a step forward, either the church or me. And this, this became so clear to me when I was, when I was writing this out. I, I tend to free write when I'm, when I'm making my messages, which means I just kind of type whatever's in my mind. Sometimes it's really, really, I delete a lot of stuff. Sort of like most of your Facebook posts, you delete, 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 delete. delete. But every time there was a step forward that needed to happen, God was always asking me to put something down or to let something go that I loved. Say, so, And actually, a couple of times, it was something that I valued greatly. I remember once, it was just before we were getting ready to, to, to build the building, the first building over here, we had John and Andrew Eastman up. And we had our uh, permits in. We had, you know, we had everything in the stuff into the ba- everything was everything was submitted. And it was like this is so going to happen. And I remember John and Andrew were there. Uh, we're at the church, old church on Doran Road, and um, we were uh, we, we were talking. And um, I had just bought this guitar effects pedal, and I was so happy with this thing. It was the the Line Six Pod X Three Live. It was so good. It was I I still like want that thing back. And God said, "Give it." Give it to John. And I said, no. Give it to John. No. And then they left. Did I give it to John? No. Want to know what happened next? We had permit issues. We had bank issues. Everything fell apart. And I was like, well, not my fault. (laughs) What happened next year when Andrew and John came up? Still the same pedal. And all the paperwork was in the same way. It was literally in the same way. And we're talking and God says, Remember last year? When I said give that to John? I was like, still? <laughs> really? Exactly. So I did. And, and, and honestly, I don't know if John ever used it. Cause, and I know he didn't need it because I've seen his gear so much better than mine. It was not the idea that he needed it. It was the idea that I needed to be obedient and I needed to let that stupid thing go. And I did. You want to know what happened the next week? Not only did everything go through, but our sprinkler variants went through. And we were told we would probably not get the sprinkler variants, which added somewhere around $50,000 to the project. All of it went through just bang, 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 it was done. Since that point, every time God said, hey, why don't you? I was just like, all right, here, <laughs> go, go ahead. Because <laughs> something better on the other side of that. But what I realized is I was, my mind was not where it needed to be, my time was not where it needed to be, and, my, and therefore my skill was not where it needed to be. So every time there's a step forward, God's asking you to get rid of something, he might be trying to do something in you not necessarily blessing the other person, but he may be trying to get, do something in you to get your mind different. When you hang on to your stuff, this is why God constantly asks us to give, not only materially, but in our skills, in our time, in our efforts. He's asking you to value what he needs over everything else. It's not easy for us. It's never been easy uh, for, uh, for humanity to let go of things that we work for. That's what he asked us to do last part and then we're done so when the disciples heard this they were greatly astonished saying who can be saved because in their mind they're thinking if a rich guy who's righteous obviously because he's rich is going to have a hard time getting into heaven what in the world am i even wasting my time for not only am i broke (laughs) says who can get into heaven but jesus looked at them and said with a man this is impossible but with god all things are possible then peter replied See, we've left everything and followed you, so what is, uh, you know, what's waiting for us? What have you done for me lately? Now listen to this. This is the result of those who live a life that the, where their material blessing, they understand that it is there to bless others. They have a, they have a life where their faith, their, their life services their faith. This is, this is the result of this. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on this glorious throne, you, will have, uh, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is not a promise for a hundredfold increase on earth. Jesus says, use your stuff to serve me and store up treasures in heaven. Here's the thing that I want to close with. If you want to gather things up, if you want to disregard what God is asking you to do and gather stuff up for you in this life, when you leave your life, the only thing waiting for you is the memory of the stuff you used to have.